You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Good morning, In Focus family. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Keevan Carley. I am the youth director here, and I'm honored to be teaching the Word of God this morning. I am all ramped up. I feel like I took about six pre-workouts plus six coffees, and that's all. I, none, I didn't take any of that. That's just from the worship and the beauty of how God, through His Holy Spirit, will weave things together, because I have heard pretty much my entire message preached through the worship of this morning, the rally message for our volunteers. And I'm just so encouraged because it affirms what God is trying to do here in this body this morning. So I am very excited. And yes, I am here in place of our lead pastor, Pastor Brent Gerard. He right now is in Manila, Philippines uh, for his seminary as he is there seeking to grow in the strength of the Lord so that he can continue to pursue uh, the calling on his life as the shepherd of InFocus Church even more faithfully and even more excellently than he already does. And so continue you praying for him. And in his absence, I do want to welcome you all, whether you are here in person, ready to take some Father's Day pictures outside, or if you are watching online at home, welcome. And we are going to get right into it today. We are acknowledging a couple of different holidays today. So we celebrate Juneteenth. You saw the awesome video. Thanks to our creative team who who got that up for us. As a church, we are seeking to reflect the multi-ethnic and multi-generational church that we see in Scripture, the early church in the book of Acts. We see that they are multi-ethnic and multi-generational, which for me makes me very appreciative of the fact that our church, our church body is very intentional to recognize that the diversity that God created us with is something that we should turn back to him in worship and in praise and not brush aside, not ignore it, and not belittle it. And with that comes the mindfulness of our context here in the South and the plight of people of color and where we say, hey, we are going to, to be mindful of our nation's past and our present and how the God's church is called to unity in Christ with Jesus as our center and therefore we move forward with the eternal hope of seeing Jesus face to face, dwelling in his presence, and worshiping him as people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And that is what Revelation tells us heaven will be like. And we get the privilege of saying, we pray the Lord's Prayer, but we're actively saying, let's make your will be done on earth, God, as it is in heaven. And this is an example of part of that. So I want to give glory to God for his design for his church, and I hope that you will join me in that, because he is worthy. He is worthy. He is the only one that can pull people that don't belong together and say, no, I've given you something greater than anything that could divide you, and I want you to unite because of that. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus. Amen. Within this diversity, we realize that we have a second holiday that we're celebrating, Father's Day. 
And I want to also acknowledge that because of that diversity, it's not just diversity in ethnicity or in age, but it's also a diversity in familial upbringings, in our home dynamics. So in celebrating Father's Day, there are some in here who are rejoicing and, and full of delight and joy and happiness, but then there are others who are mourning and lamenting. That could be because they have lost a child, or perhaps they have grown up without their father in their lives, or maybe their father was present in their lives, but every time they interact with their father, it's a, a, a regular reminder of all of the pain that they experienced in their life through the shortcomings, the neglect, and the abuses of their father. So we want to recognize all of that. And I'm praying personally that the heart of God will be revealed ever more to you on today in spite of what you feel. That God will reveal himself to you as the loving father that he is. Scripture tells us that even before the creation of the world, before human beings were formed, that what was God doing before all of that? He was a father loving his son. And therefore, that means that everything that God did in creation, in pursuing mankind, in sending Jesus to die on the cross to take the penalty for our sins, God has done all of that, including pursuing each one of you individually within your own lives. He's done all of it from the position of a father who loves. And I realize that that does not take away the very real pains that you face from the absence of a loving earthly father, but I pray that it will comfort you, that the truth of who God is will comfort you on this morning. But for those who are celebrating today with joy and delight, I want to recognize that you fathers and father figures, you work a a, a sometimes thankless job, a challenging and difficult job, but that in your selflessness, in your compassion, in your affection, you are reflecting the goodness of God while pointing to his greatness as our heavenly father. In your pursuit to follow Jesus well, you are are bringing glory and smiles to the face of God. And whether you are a a biological father or not, maybe you adopted or you're a foster foster parent, or maybe you just pour into the life of the next generation within our church and outside of our church in a way that will continue to give God glory and that will exceed anything that you can imagine as he continues to change beyond your years. So we celebrate you today. And you maybe have walked by the the festivities that we've got out there. Yes, there's the the photo backdrop, but we've also got a little snack area. So we invite you men, not just fathers, but men, even high school age and up to partake in that and for you to enjoy the photos with your family this weekend. My hope is that it will give you some, some memories to cherish. So as I was preparing this message, I was thinking of my own father and came to some, some odd and awkward memories um, that are honestly a little embarrassing and disgusting. And they're not on his part. They are actually on my part. And I had one that I wanted to share. I remember when I was about six or seven years old, uh, my dad and my two older brothers and I, we were going to visit uh, a school for my oldest brother. He had a, a parent-teacher conference. And so we're going to the school and we're getting there and apparently it was a very serious conference. I don't know if my oldest brother got in trouble or what, but basically my dad pulled my oldest brother aside, said, hey, we're going to go in the classroom, but Keevan, I want you and your second oldest brother, I want you all to stay here in the library. And he gave it with that, that parental tone, the, the one where you kind of clench your jaw, like, 
state in this library. I mean it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like the real serious instruction. So I took it to heart. And in my six or seven year old mind, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting patiently. And five minutes pass and, and 15 minutes pass. And I'm realizing that maybe all those Capri Suns that I drank in the car were a bad idea. Y'all see where it's going. And so I'm waiting, and, and then 25 minutes pass. And before long, I, I realize I'm at the fork in the road where I have to either choose to leave this library and disobey what my father instructed or stay and obey what my father instructed. And in my naivety, I chose to wait it out. I was clenching and trying to hold on as tight as I could. But before long, I had to let go and let God, and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed, but at the same time, I felt a, a smidge of, of pride because I was being faithful to what my father instructed. And so, you can imagine, my dad came back and was shocked because he thought it would be common sense to say, Keevan, if you need to go to the bathroom, you can leave the library to go to the bathroom, but I did not know. But again, I felt that pride, and as, as embarrassing and disgusting as it sounds, it actually leads to the introductory point for this morning, that wrong listening leads to wrongdoing. Yeah. Wrong listening leads to wrongdoing. You can receive information, you can respond to it with the best of intentions and think that you are truly being faithful, only to actually lead to wrongdoing simply because you heard wrong, you misunderstood, you misinterpreted. My dad would never tell me, Keevan, just use the bathroom on yourself. And I should have known that. But my mind was solely focused on what I heard and my own interpretation of it. And that led to my action. And so this concept of uh, mishearing or, or not correctly listening, wrong listening leading to wrongdoing, is even more amplified when it comes to hearing and listening to the word of God. And that is Jesus' point in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. It's the parable of the sower. Perhaps you've heard it called to. I'll give you a chance to turn to it there. If you are at home, you have the, the ability to press pause. And, and hopefully it's not on an awkward face expression of mine. But you can press pause and run and go get your Bible and a pen or a highlighter and come right back. If you have yours now, you can grab it, turn to Luke. Or if you are using a device, either version Bible app, you can go ahead and pull that up now. And if you don't have any of that, it's on the screen for you. Starting in verse 4, it says, As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, A sower, somebody say, A sower. Thank you. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And still other seed fell on good ground. Somebody say, good ground. Good ground. Amen. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Verse 9, then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parable so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. 
This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and produce no mature fruit. In verse 15, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. So we're going to walk through this passage, try to get a feel for, for what Jesus is communicating to his audience, and then from there, what the implications are for us today. Now, first, we have to figure out who is Jesus' audience. In verse 4, it says it very clearly that a large crowd had gathered from every town, and they were coming in to hear Jesus speak. So if you have your physical Bible and you have a pen, I want you to go ahead and circle a large crowd. I want you to circle that. It's, it's good Bible study tools. Pastor Chris gave some good Bible study tools and how, and how to be a good church member by encouraging us to reread the passage after we leave church. And I want to encourage you to do that as well. But while you're here, if you're able, go ahead and circle a large crowd because that is who Jesus is speaking to. We have to grasp that. Because if we don't grasp that, then we will fail to understand who Jesus is talking to and therefore how that impacts the message that we are hearing. Here's an example. Maybe you've heard this passage taught in a manner that explains that this is Jesus's effort to teach what true discipleship should look like. Like, like hey, this is how you go and make disciples. You've got to go and find the good ground. You've you got to pour into the people who are hungry, those who are asking the questions. They are inquiring, and you go and pour in all your time and all of your effort and attention into them. That sounds like a good idea. And in fact, Jesus in a surrounding passage, he explained to his disciples like, hey, as you are going out to proclaim the word of God, if you enter into a town and they reject you, then just dust off the, the, the uh, rocks and the sand from your feet and keep moving to the next town. You find, in effect, the good ground. You find the people who are hungry. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is, first of all, teaching to a large crowd, which inevitably would have included not just his disciples who were listening, but also non-believers. And then, as we see throughout the parable, ultimately Jesus is saying that this word of God, the seed, is going to spread to everyone, and therefore our intention and focus is not on this is how we disciple folks. So as you circle large, large crowds, it's putting in our minds who Jesus is speaking to and helps us to interpret exactly what he is saying so that we can rightly hear. So we've got the audience. Now as we break down this parable, let's understand what a parable is. Jesus oftentimes would speak in parables. Maybe you've heard the simple definition of a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It'll have some type of normal, uh, common knowledge imagery so that anyone can understand without being an expert in that particular field. Uh, James Edwards, in his commentary, he says, Parables are like stained glass windows in a cathedral. They're dull and lifeless from the outside, but brilliant and radiant from within. Parables do not simply dispense good advice. They are good news, but the good news cannot be understood apart from the one who announces it. 
So parables are intentional. And as Jesus is using this earthly story, utilizing imagery and examples that were relatable to his audience, it's also not lost on us today. You don't have to be a farmer to understand the concept of sowing seed. You also know that when you sow seed, you should be intentional to make sure that that seed lands in an area that ultimately is going to guarantee its growth. But throughout this time, as Jesus is speaking and teaching about this parable, we see that there's a, 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 an oddity to his approach. But then we also need to focus on first, before we try to interpret why he's doing that, we need to understand who he's trying to emphasize in this story. He told about a sower who went out to sow his seed. You can circle that now. Circle sower. That is the main subject in this parable. It's not the, the grounds or, or the types of areas that the seed fell on. The emphasis is on the sower, which brings it to this title for this morning's message, the sower. And so Jesus is emphasizing the sower as the main subject. And what was his main objective? What was the main goal of the sower? To sow his seed. The main goal of the sower was not to, to reap the greatest harvest. If it was, then it would have made sense for him to say, no, I'm not worried about the path. I'm not worried about the thorny area. I'm not worried about the rocky area. I want to go find that good ground. But the main objective of the sower was simply to sow his seed. And so when we look at the sower's behavior and how he did scatter that seed in all of these different areas, we've got to realize that of four different areas, only one actually yielded a return. One, three out of the four, 75% of Jesus's or, or the sower's efforts in his actions yielded no return. And to the average, or, or, or not even average, to every human being who looks at this and thinks that they have any knowledge about sowing a seed, you can look and say, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Because if you really are trying to be careful to have this seed and bring growth, then you need to find the good ground because seed is not cheap. In this agrarian society, seed would have been tied to either of two things. Either it was seed to produce food for the sower or it was seed to produce an income for the sower. So for this sower to be going around scattering seed, it's like, wait a second, that, that doesn't make sense. Sowing seed is it, common to all of us. It's a, a common phenomenon. But if we think of one other idea that's very common to us all, we'll realize that wasting is just as common. You might not sow seed, but you know what it's like to waste something. You young folks in here, myself being included, because I know some people are like, you young yourself. Us young folks, we know what it's like for our parents or guardians to tell us, hey, don't you waste that juice. Don't you pour that out. You finish it up. Hey, turn those lights off to save electricity. Take less long of a shower so that you can save some water because we don't want to waste that, right? The older folks are like, yeah, uh-huh, been there, done that. I'm reminded of a TV show that I think just gave a beautiful and hilarious image of this. Do y'all remember Everybody Hates Chris? Anybody? All right, a few of us. Y'all already know. If you don't know, the show came out in like 2007, and it was centered around this family 
who was growing up in like the 80s and, and that's where the setting of the, the show was but the, the father in the show, his name was Julius. Julius worked two to three jobs and his wife would not let you forget it. He worked two to three jobs but still had to penny pinch in order to save money. And so that led to him with hot guys throughout his house watching and observing for his family to see if they were wasting money. So it led to scenarios like this. If you're that kid that's peeling the crust off of your peanut butter jelly sandwich and throw it in the trash, he'd sweep around the corner and go, that's 12 cents worth of bread, don't you waste that. How you calculate that, we never know. But that was Julius's thing. And so uh, another scene showed that they were at the dinner table and he saw that there, somebody had spilled milk. And, and like the idiom would go, uh, or against the idiom really, he cried over spilled milk and said, that's 47 cents worth of spilled milk, now which one of y'all gonna drink it? He wanted to save money, he was not trying to waste. One of the funniest that I remember was a, a scene where Julius was actually having a, a real heartfelt conversation with one of his sons and the son was about to go to bed. He was already in bed. So Julius was at the, the bedroom door and he was about to close it and leave and say goodnight. But then he said, hey, son, unplug that alarm clock. You can't tell time in your sleep. <laughs> you get the image, right? I could go on and on about Julius. It was hilarious and I love the show, but it was a comedy. And so maybe it was exaggerated a bit, but we are all familiar with the urgency to save things. Doesn't mean that we're good at saving. Some of us are spenders, some of us are wasters. And we can have those good intentions, but we are all familiar with the concept. And so maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point is not for us to look at this passage and say, don't waste time on people that are not good ground. Don't waste time on these rocky, thorny soils or on the path where it's getting trampled on and eaten up. Maybe Jesus is using this earthly imagery of sowing seed to paint a heavenly picture of something beyond our human logic. Jesus ended the parable and said, let he who has ears to hear listen, implying that we can hear what he's saying and then walk away and think nothing of it and miss the importance of everything that he was sharing. But when we seek to understand the parable in light of who spoke it, as James Edwards mentioned in his quote, we get a different image that Jesus, he, he explicitly identified that the seed is the word of God, but he didn't actually identify who the sower was. But if we look and see, we, we pay careful attention to what Jesus is showing us about the sower, we see that Jesus is describing his generosity. That this sower is so generous that he's spreading his seed of great value into places that really don't deserve it. What is the seed? Again, the word of God. So he's given this image without identifying the sower as himself or as God the Father. He's explaining that the word of God is to be sown everywhere, including the places that don't deserve it. And therefore, this reflects the heart of God, our Father, because the word of God ultimately reveals who God is and the nature of God and of the kingdom of God. And it comes from God's desire for that seed to be sown. So the heart of God is that his word be sown everywhere, including the places that don't deserve it. These oddities actually contribute to Jesus's explanation of the parable with emphasis on the sower. That in the sower's action, the generosity of God and the depth of God's compassion are demonstrated because of God being a God who desires to save lost people. 
God being a father who loves, a father who loves his creation and desires a people of his own, he is the sower who is not careless in the sowing of his seed, but instead he is generous in the sharing of seed of infinite value. That the God who owns a cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills, the God of all creation is saying, no, I waste no thing because I know ultimately what is going to bring a return and what will not. I want to ask you, who's the most generous person that you know? The most generous person that you know, that person that, that exhibits generosity to a degree that really doesn't make sense. It's one thing to tip 10%, 15%, 20% when you're out at a restaurant, but, but that person that says, no, I'm going to give that 40% tip. That person that says, hey, I'm going to give this car away. I know I could profit $8,000 if I sold it, but I'm going to give it away instead. That person that is buying for everyone, and I'm not going to mention names, but I know some people in this room who are very generous like that, but I know that there are also people in this room who are going to be like, who that? Because I need to know. Be friends with that person. <laughs> but who is the most generous person that you know, that, that Oprah-type generosity that just gives away, and it doesn't make sense because you're looking and examining their behavior in light of what you have or in light of your own heart and your definition of what generous looks like. In this passage, Jesus is showing the generosity of God the Father saying, I will scatter this seed of infinite value so that it spreads everywhere because I want everyone to hear the word of God. It doesn't guarantee that everyone will respond to it the same way, but that doesn't change God's desire for everyone to hear the word of God. Let's look at the power of the seed and the responder's responsibility. In verse 9, it says, Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? So Jesus said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Right here, Jesus is, is emphasizing the, the you. He's, yes, he's, the crowd is still gathered, but the disciples pull him and, and ask him a question, and Jesus turns and gives his direction to them to emphasize, hey, you are the good ground. You are the ones who will hear this and this message, this word of God. You will receive this seed, and you will produce a harvest a hundredfold. Right here, everyone will hear the word of God, but not everyone will respond the same way. And so all three of the other types of ground, they will hear this same message. They will hear the preaching of the word of God, the proclamation of the gospel. But they will walk away in different ways. The seed along the path, they will hear the word of God, but keep it moving as though nothing happened. They might be the individuals who sit in these chairs on a Sunday morning, believing that they are a Christian simply because they are here, but they're here and they stand up and they walk away and they're not chewing on the word anymore. They're not picking up this Bible until they pick it up to grab it and bring it out the door to come here next Sunday. They're just walking away like nothing has happened. The seed on the rock are those who, when they hear and receive the word with joy, having no root, these believe for a while and while uh, fall away in a time of testing where there are some trials and some stresses in life that we all will face. But this group in particular, when they face it, after worshiping and lifting their hands and singing, praying, maybe even going to connect group, but they hear the word of God, but when something difficult hits their life, they abandon they walk away. They say, man, mm -mm. this whole being godly thing is too difficult. It, it was easier 
for me to do things my way. But then the third group, those who uh, hear the word of God and it falls among thorns. So they hear it. These are the ones who have heard go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. They start to count the costs and realize, man, this does ask too much. Yes, life was easier, but man, if Jesus is asking me to do all of these things, then I don't really know if that is for me. They're not the good ground either. So what causes this same seed? It doesn't say like, oh, some of the seed have less power, they have different enzymes and they're producing. No, it's the same seed. So what causes this same seed to be spread everywhere but have such different result in one area compared to the other three? Again, Jesus instructed that if you have ears to hear, then listen. And if you're listening and you're saying, man, I want to be that good ground. I want to make sure that I have that. Then let's look at what, or the way that Jesus describes the good ground in verse 15. He says, but the seed and the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. So the seed is the word of God, but the, the productivity of the various soils depends solely on how the word of God is heard. Again, wrong listening leads to wrongdoing, but right listening will lead to hearing and, and hearing that leads to faith. And right faith is faith that leads to behaviors that are consistent with the word of God. So if you want to be good ground that receives the word of God, then here's what you do. According to Jesus, you hear the word of God with an honest and good heart. You hold on to that word of God and you endure. That's it. It's a simple uh, equation if you want to call it that. You hear with an honest and good heart, you hold on to it and you endure. Everyone hears, but not everyone holds on to it. Everyone hears, but not everyone hears with an honest and good heart. And maybe you're going, wait a second, didn't Jesus himself say that he asked the disciples or someone was asking him, calling him good, and he said, hey, why do you call me good? No man is good except God, which would establish that none of us are good. None of us naturally have good hearts. And I said, yeah, amen. That is the truth that we see throughout scripture. Because good ground is not good because a person has a better heart or because they sin less or because they have a better nature. Good ground consists of a heart that is honestly aware of its need for the good news of the gospel. Good ground is honest with itself where it will examine from within. It will examine, examine itself internally and recognize how deprived it is. That means that the good grounded people are not just confessing sin so that they can be saved. They are confessing sin on a daily basis so that they can become more like Jesus. They are hearing the word of God. They are holding on to it and they are enduring. We don't contribute anything to our salvation except for the sin that put Jesus on the cross. And so the good grounded people that produce fruit are those who are aware of their need for Jesus. They're honest with themselves and they hear the word of God as the gospel is preach. They learned that God created the world and everything in it. They learned that God created Adam and Eve and everything was good, but then Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, and that you and I as humanity, we have been sinning ever since. But that God, as the loving Father that he is, has pursued us throughout time, ever since the world's foundation, but that even before he had his plan already established, 
And they hear this good news that God demonstrates his love by sending Christ to die while we were yet sinners. Meaning that we cannot earn the love of God, but that he's already shown it. We realize, we hear the truth of the gospel that God is pursuing us and that the Holy Spirit draws us nearer to God. And that is the only way that we can come to meet him and have right relationship. And so therefore we hear this word of God and we don't reject it away. We don't walk out of here and say, cool, man, the pastor was actually kind of funny. And man, he dressed kind of nice, but I'll come back next. Sunday and see what that's about they hear this word and they say I need that I need that I need this Jesus they face trials and storms in in life just like every other human being just like the path just like the rocks and the thorns but the good ground endure because of their faith in their heavenly father sometimes I I think we have this this mindset like man I I just want to hear something new I'm tired of hearing the same old preaching, man. This gospel, you don't want to neglect the gospel, but at the same time, you're like, man, teach me the meat. I want to hear the the stuff that I need to really work out in my life. And if that is your heart set and mindset, like it was mine for a while, I want to encourage you that you're missing the gospel. You're missing the gospel. The gospel implicates everything that we do as saved followers of Jesus. We're right here, right now, I'm trying to tell us that in order for us to be good grounded people, by holding on to the word of God and enduring through the trials, through the temptations and the tests of life, what that means is that we don't lose sight of the God who sent Jesus to save us. We preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis to remember correctly that we are saved by grace through faith, that it's not uh, of our works, that no man should boast. That we pursue Jesus on a regular basis with the truth of the gospel before us, holding on to this word of God. So if that is you, someone who has this relationship with Jesus, someone who is good ground, they've received and they're holding on and you're spending the remainder of your days continuing to learn of this loving father who's loved in eternity past and who is loving you here today and into eternity future. You're holding on to the word of God. I want to tell you also that the beauty of all of this is that the message doesn't actually get old. Again, it implicates everything that we do moving forward. And here's some examples of how. See, this, this, this seed, the, the word of God, it does encompass the gospel, the good news that brings salvation. It, it does include that. But again, the word of God also tells of God and of the kingdom of God from God's desire for this knowledge to be made known to his people. And so, yes, it includes the gospel. But then as Jesus is telling of the word of God that reveals the kingdom of God, it's revealing the ways and the nature of God. So that when we see the scriptures in command about this kingdom of God, also known as the upside down kingdom, and how it combats with the ways of the world, we come across things like, hey, Jesus telling us it's better to serve than to be served. In a world where that is contradicted on a regular basis, that we see people and feel the temptation for us to insist on our own preferences and our own desires and our own needs to be met above someone else's. We see Jesus saying, it's better to give than to receive. This is the way of the kingdom of God. Not defining generosity simply because you gave something but measuring it up to what Jesus set as the standard as he actually exhibited by his own giving of his life and his sacrifice on the cross. 
We see the kingdom of God being explained to us that it, is, it involves the first being last and the last being first. So we should think of others as more important than ourselves. We see the kingdom of God being preached that we should forgive our enemies and love those who persecute us, not holding grudges and bitterness. We see the kingdom of God being preached that we are to confess our sins to one another that we may be healed, not covering it up and living life like it's everyday social media where we're just trying to present our best image to the people around us, but instead we get in our connect groups to say, I've got sin that I need to confess. I'm struggling with this. Man, that one campaign, I know I should be given, but I, I honestly don't want to. And whether that's because I have doubts or fears or I just selfishly want to spend my money the way I want to, I'm confessing it because I'm believing that my brothers and my sisters will encourage me towards truth. We see the kingdom of God being preached, proclaiming that we should bring our complaint to our brother. Not holding it and brushing it under a rug, not turning around and gossiping behind their back, but bringing it because it ultimately exemplifies and embraces the truth of the gospel that we've been united to God in right relationship vertically, but also united to our brothers and sisters horizontally, and that this is the family of God. So why list these examples? It's important that we recognize that if we are good ground, then we need to keep in step. That's what it means to hold on and to endure it. Yes, hold on every time that we sit under the teaching of the word. Hold on to it every time that we open up our Bible. Hold on to it every time that we sit down in connect group. We're holding on to it each time, but that we hold on so that we endure. And that when we see this, because if good ground does not endure through the temptations to disobey God, then we instead inject the ways of the kingdom of God, which is still rejecting the word of God. And that means we're not good ground. It means we're rocky soil. It means we're following Jesus when it's convenient and when it's comfortable. But when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable, we say, no, 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 no. God, you know I'm non-confrontational. I, I can't bring my complaint to my brother. I, I, no, nah, forget that. I'm going to carry on and do things my way. We may not verbalize it that way, but that might be because we're not honest with ourselves. We're not honestly examining ourselves and being good ground who hears the word of God with an honest and good heart. That doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. And it certainly doesn't mean that we won't wrestle with the word of God. That's where the honesty comes in. God, this is difficult to live out right now. In this season of my life, God, you know what gas prices look like. God, I'm so tempted to use my company credit card for my own personal vehicle. God, I, I want to cheat on my taxes so I can get a better tax return, whatever it is. You might laugh at that, but whatever it is for you, you can fill in that blank and honestly confess that there's something that you're struggling with following Jesus with. That you're not perfect, that you're not following Jesus well in every area of your life or in every relationship within your life. But that, again, is when the Holy Spirit and the church come to help us remember correctly the nature of our Heavenly Father. Again, I started this message saying, I hope this encourages you, that when you read this parable in light of who Jesus is as one proclaiming the Word of God Himself, but in light of who our Heavenly Father is, that you realize His nature as a God who loves, as a Father who loves, because that impacts the way that we live everything else out. That when we come across those scriptures and those commands and those instructions, and not just instructions of Jesus, but also the examples of Jesus. As Jesus exemplified what, uh, the, about the parable of the Good Samaritan and what it means to truly love your neighbor, even those that don't look like you or don't sound like you or don't think like you or vote like you, 
that when we come across the, inner, the uh, instructions and the examples of Jesus, that we wrestle with those things and say, God, that's not my way. But will you give me a heart that will receive your instruction that I may hold on to it and endure when life tempts me and I am tested and I am struggling to obey. I want to be faithful to you because I want to honor you as Lord and as King. Because if I tell you no, then that's a contradiction of my word and of my heart. I can't call you King. I can't call you Lord and not do what you say. One last thing I want to emphasize about the beauty of the seed is that while we have our own responsibility of examining ourselves with honesty and holding on to the word of God and enduring, ultimately it's the seed that does the work. Again, the same seed was scattered everywhere. It works within us to blossom and produce fruit. But if you, if you didn't notice that number, Jesus explained in the parable that it produces a harvest. It bears fruit times a hundred of what was planted, what was sold. So if I offer to any of you, hey, give me a dollar and I give you a hundred back, everyone would jump on that. You would bless God, amen, Lord, and won't he do it? You, you are all the amens and hallelujahs because you recognize the deal that's being offered to you. But here spiritually, Jesus is explaining that through this word of God, first with the gospel unto salvation, but every time that we sit with our face in this book, that we get to ingest the word of God. A seed gets to be planted within our hearts that will ultimately produce a hundredfold. And as miraculous as that sounds to us today, it was just as miraculous in Jesus's time if not even more so because sowers understood that hey if I plant this seed it might produce a harvest 20 fold maybe even 40 fold in good season but a hundred fold was considered a miracle Jesus is explaining that what comes out of our life when we truly hear the word of God when we hold on to it and endure it what truly comes forward is fruit beyond what we can imagine Fruit that glorifies our God, but fruit that also is a blessing to those around us. Those who get to bear witness to the patience, the joy, the love, the kindness, the gentleness, the goodness, the self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. It exudes out of our lives so that others ultimately can see him more clearly. Because they start to question, why, why do you have peace in the midst of chaos like we just sang? Oh man, let me tell you. It's because I trust that my heavenly father who loved me before the world's foundation, my heavenly father who loved me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross in my place, my heavenly father who pursued me within my own life until I came to know him in right relationship and even now walks with me and lives inside of me, that's why I have peace. That's why I can love you even when you have treated me like an enemy, but you call me your friend. That's why I can love you and serve you even when you fail to serve me or look in my best interest. We look at this and we realize that the sower, the will of the sower, the will of God is that his seed be sown to all of those people in our lives that don't deserve it. And we don't cast away, we don't turn our back. We say, God, help me in this moment to be a witness for your glory and their good. God, draw that person because I know that you want your seed sown to my enemies. Those who treat me like I'm their enemy and I've done nothing wrong to them. Those co-workers, those relatives, those classmates. God, it is your desire for seed to be sown everywhere. So I want to close with a few questions to lead us in examining ourselves. I want to challenge you to consider what type of ground are you? 
How did you even come in and sit down this morning? Did you come prepared to receive? Maybe you had distractions this morning. The kids were all on your legs, whatever. But did you sit down? Do you sit down before you read the Bible, before you sit under the teaching of the word and say, God, change me. God, help me see you more clearly. Do you have ears to hear? Are you the path or are you the rock, the thorns, or the good ground? If you're a follower of Jesus, how do you sit under uh, your connect groups on a weekly basis? Do you sit coming so that you can try to share all the knowledge that you have as though you don't need to receive anything else? Or do you come in and say, God, I want you to speak to me today. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal your ways and your will for me as your son and daughter. Change me. Help me to hold on to who you are. Because when I hold on to who you are, as the faithful God who loves, as my heavenly father who loves me, I trust that any command that you have in this book is ultimately for my good and for your glory. And if that's not you, then confess that to him right now. But if you're saying, man, I'm not even good ground. I'm that person that comes in here thinking I'm saved simply because I'm in the room, because I do some of the Christian things, but I haven't received that word of God. Then I want to invite you to trust Jesus simply by crying out to him and saying, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, Lord, and I am putting my trust in you. I need you. I need right relationship with you, not by trying to earn it or work for it but by simply confessing and repenting and believing. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.